Yeah, this is a story of famous dog. But the dog that chases his tail will be busy. These are happy dogs. Rhythmic dogs. Harmonic dogs. House dogs. Stick dogs. Dogs of the world unite. Dancing dogs. Good to be back. Hello, Dave. Hello, Gardner. So, uh, what kind of dog are you? Well, it's pretty obvious. I'm a talking dog. <laughs> I'm a talk. I'm a talking alpha dog. Yeah, that that would be true. <laughs> and, and a and a talking trivia dog. I never got the final score. What was last night? We came in fourth place. Uh, Legitimate fourth? Uh, no, we we uh, we had to admit that we had five players. Uh, not at the close, you didn't, but. Okay, you were very honest then. Yes, we were honest. Right, good for you. Good for we're, you. We're we're good. Uh, we're good trivia players. Uh, if you don't know, we play trivia every Wednesday night here in uh, Murphy's Pub, and uh, it's a great time to uh, hook up with some friends and just show how ignorant and stupid we really are. <laughs> and, and test the latest desserts. But uh, yes. So, uh, what'd you do this week? Oh, man, it's been a busy week. Uh, lacrosse season opened up, so we're involved in that. And then probably like everybody else, I've been reading reading on a daily basis all the stuff going on around us, uh, the whole you know coronavirus thing. And it's yeah, – everybody's, you know, it's a little stressful. talking, a little stressful. Yeah. yeah. I, from what I see, it's uh, a little bit of both, a little bit overblown, but you got to be concerned and – Take care of yourself and be aware. No, you have to find the alcohol. That's the problem. I went to Costco on Sunday. Another thing, and like out the alcohol shelf. Now I'm not talking the drinking. I'm talking the isopropyl. Well, you can't use tequila. Well, you know, it, I did. I know someone in the medical field, and and I got a text with a picture that <laughs> it was a bottle of Jack Daniels with a sprayer attached to it. <laughs> Is it an oral? Uh, no, oral no. Treatment? I think that was for cleaning surfaces. Um, you know, but. I think tea leans would probably be better if you got to use something, you know? Well, here you go. A bleach, 1% solution bleach is your best cleaning option for and sanitizing. Don't wipe it off. You got to let it. Remember, you got to let this stuff dry. You can't wipe it down or you're defeating the purpose of your uh, of your wiping and your cleaning. 1% solution for surfaces. And then if you have any kind of bio, uh, uh, liquid, uh, I'm sorry, um, uh, body fluids, bodily fluids. Uh, that's where you want to use a 10% solution of bleach. So just a, you know, that's a good way to go when you're cleaning up after your dog or, you know, uh, that's how you, uh, cleaning down your, uh, kennel. Uh, that's what you want to go for I think it's the cheapest, most effective way to really clean and sanitize your, and, uh, yeah. And of course, washing your hands, uh, soap and water, 20 seconds, sing the ABCs, uh, get up there, get up to the wrist, not just your hands. You want to go all the way up to the wrist. Uh, and you can even do it twice. Count, uh, do your ABCs twice, warm water. It could be cold water if you don't have warm water, but, uh, that's how you want to do that. So we're actually getting, speaking of hands, we're getting hand signals from our, from our guests. Uh, about how, well, let's how to do this. Should we introduce him? Yeah, Doc, we have an amazing guest with us this week. Uh, Dr. Peter Walsh is here joining us. 
And uh, I'm going to let him tell you what he does and how he does it and what he does. Uh, so welcome, Peter. Thanks, thanks so much for being here. Uh, thank you. And let me first of all say, <laughs> um, I do a lot of things. Uh, I'm a ecologist and evolutionary bio biologist, and I uh, did my PhD at Yale University studying birds, strangely enough, but then went on to a career in which I did a lot of uh, wildlife conservation work in Africa, um, focused originally on sort of park stuff, um, elephants, all, all large mammals, and gradually moved my way into studying uh, mainly gorillas. And uh, because Ebola virus became a huge problem uh, in gorilla populations, I d was forced to become expert on uh, a lot of aspects of the epidemiology of viruses. And so I've, I've done, I've done a, a lot of mathematical and evolutionary modeling of actual the, the DNA and RNA of viruses. And I've done two captive chimpanzee trials on two different Ebola vaccines. And I've also done a wild uh, measles vaccine trial on wild gorillas. And so I sort of have a broad base of, um, of training and, and work experience in both the theory of how the epidemiological theory of how viruses transmit through populations and also the nitty gritty of vaccines and how you actually treat against viruses and how they behave in animals. Wow. Yeah, I know. I'm like, what do you say? Wow. Wow. Now, I, I just have to say, I've done some mathematical modeling about where 50% of the in-studio guests come from. Yeah. <laughs> and it's Pete's it's because Pete's. that's where we met Peter. I think that should be our sponsor. I think it should. Uh, yes. Uh, you just you were talking about viral stuff and Peter he, actually overheard you. He and, actually overheard me and corrected me. So that's why he's here. Thank God. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, so, Peter, did you have dogs growing up? Let's get these questions. As a little out kid, I had a dog, uh, uh, and then and then not. Um, but I spent a couple of years on a little farm in a village in in the countryside in England, and got turned on to animals, and then and then sort of drifted through uh, high school and got drunk and stoned in college, and then came out the other side and said, "What am I going to do with my life?" And uh, I, I really liked animals, and so I just sort of changed what I was doing. I was a history undergraduate with a, with a minor in philosophy and religion, and I came out and I said, when I went to college in Vermont, and I went outside with my friends a lot and said, what am I going to do with my life? And then that was, uh, that was the early 80s, and I sort of got a PhD in biology and haven't looked back. I love that. I sort of got a PhD in <laughs> yeah, biology. Yeah. <laughs> just tripped over it. And so... We thought you'd make a great guess that we could talk about the transmission of viruses between humans and canine. And because there's a lot of rumors out there, you know, we read about this uh, dog in Hong Kong who uh, its owner had the coronavirus and was quarantined and they, they did a nasal swab and a throat culture a swab and it came up with a weak I don't know, weak case, I don't know what you call it, but a weak strain, or uh, and it, he tested positive, the dog tested positive. And so it brought up a lot of questions about, can dogs give you the coronavirus? Can dogs have it? Can they, you know, there are all these things surrounding that, and maybe you can talk for just a minute about, about let's debunk the myth, or just get the real facts. Okay, the facts are that 
as with many viruses, there are, are many different strains of coronavirus. There's, in fact, two groups, the, the alpha and beta coronaviruses. And the one that's the, causing the big epidemic in humans right now is a beta coronavirus. And it's the, that's the group in which, if you're old enough to remember SARS in the early 2000s, that's what that was. And also MERS. SARS came out of Asia. MERS, it was Middle Eastern Respiratory Syndrome they thought maybe from camels um, was the intermediate host. And then we've got this one. Those are beta coronaviruses. Um, and then there's also alpha coronaviruses, which are typically found in dogs and cats um, if you so, and humans. And so there's lots of different strains of coronaviruses. Most of them are not going to do, do anything really nasty to you. They're, they cause a little uh, mild cold, and then that's it. It's over. We just pay attention to the ones that happen to be nasty in humans, which is the current COVID-19 disease that we're seeing now and MERS or SARS when people die. Um, but coronaviruses, other ones are out there right now. You, you've probably had a coronavirus. You're probably carrying coronavirus right now. So in terms of dogs, they've got their own set of dog-specific coronaviruses. And, you know, uh, at any one time, your dog might well have a coronavirus, might be carrying it. Um, and that's not something to worry about. That's pretty natural. Um, you know, it, it, could it transmit to you? It's possible. Um, and the thing what you learn about with viruses is never it is possible. It's not possible. It's always, eh, well, you know, maybe it could happen. It's possible it could happen. It's not very likely. So can, it, can you get it from your dog? Yes. In, in theory, yes. Likely? Probably not. Yeah. It's pretty low in terms of the actual... Uh, possibility of it happening. I would be much more worried about uh, little kids who've, who've been in a school and getting getting something from them, influenza or measles or something like that. Right. Um, you know, it wouldn't getting getting a, a dog coronavirus from your own dog is something that you really shouldn't worry about. Yeah, good. So, I, so we can go back to having them lick our face and kissing. and. <laughs> I, there, if you have a, a compromised immune system, uh, either because you're old or you have a chronic condition, uh, that you have something like HIV, HIV AIDS, um, or you're an HIV, HIV carrier, um, I would be careful about any kind of viral or bacterial exposure. Well, I'm never going to let my dog, a dog lick my face at all. Yeah, yeah. So let's just clear that yeah. up. How about you, Dave? Uh, I, I don't usually let the dog lick my face. I mean, he does. He's still in the and he, well he's an adolescent now and he does get a little excited sometimes and he'll get a wet nose on your hand sometimes hitting your nose but uh yeah i mean gen, general rule no don't let him lick my face but uh, going back how so i mean right now the i mean first of all if you're the corona beer uh, organization you're 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 not you're hating life right <laughs> Sales now are a dump. It, it's a it's a problem um but Corona, you're right. I mean, it's been around for a long time. How, do you have a sense of how, like, they test for a specific? I mean, they're looking for the genome. Okay, so so this is a these are RNA viruses, and they're essentially just a little piece of RNA, and then they're encapsulated in a little protein capsule, and that's all they are to them. And and each of them has a unique sequence. Each of these strains has a slightly different sequence. It has some common parts with the other ones, and then it has its own unique identifier. And the tests that they would do would be one of two kinds of tests. 
They could do a like a, a, an RNA test to say whether or not you actually have live viruses or pieces of virus in you, and that could be fairly precise and say, "Aha, this is this is COVID nineteen, the 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 coronavirus that's causing COVID nineteen." Or they could do an antibody test, and that is just uh, a signal that you've been infected in the past. That, that your immune system has been infected by that virus and then recognizes that virus. That's the way that, before we had uh, DNA technologies and RNA technologies, that's how they did this. They did antibody tests and you would react and you, you have some protein in your blood that indicates that you've been previously infected and then they would do a test for that. But those are very imprecise. Those would not tell you necessarily exactly which strain Hmm. Um, infected you, whereas the new ones are effectively they're sequencing AGCTTGGC the genetic code, and and they know exactly what genet genetic code this strain that's infecting people right now looks like, and they're able to say if they have a test kit, they're able to say aha, you have this precise one, um, down to the a single base pair um, level. The problem is is that those Test kits are not widely distributed because nobody knew this was going to happen, and so well, I think they got off the dime and got that going on. Well, they Sounds do that. Like they, do. they do that in the United States, but in other places in the world, they don't. Uh-huh. And so, if you're talking about outbreaks in Iran or in, in a lot of developing countries, uh, or even in China, um, they're not actually detecting. They're only detecting a very small percentage of the actual cases because they don't have that many test kits, and they also, most people who are getting the virus are not getting a really serious infection. They're getting a mild infection. They don't even go to a doctor. They don't, you know, they have a little cold, you know? And so consequently, what's happening is, is we're seeing really high numbers for the mortality rate. They're talking two, three percent of, of, of people are right. dying. Yep. That's an overestimate. It's almost certainly an overestimate of, of the virulence of this virus because most of the people who are getting it are never getting into contact mm -hmm. with the, the, with medical. They're not even reported. They're, they're not, not reported. Yeah. There's nobody has yet been able to go out and do a survey that looks at these antibodies and say, oh, oh, what percentage of people that we randomly tested are actually showing evidence that they were infected? And until that happens, that will happen a year or two from now. We'll see some studies on that. Then we'll find out that actually the reported uh, mortality rate of two to three percent is actually way high, and this is going to turn out to be less virulent than than than, pe than people are saying now. And the, and the challenge you have right now is when particularly what's going on in Seattle, where you've got this let's call it a large outbreak, but it's happening in in a, in a population. I mean, they're in a in a senior care home right. for a reason because something their health is compromised. Right, exactly, and, and so so that's that this I. I when I knew I was going to come on, this, on the show today, I did a quick little, little search. The vast majority of deaths are among either elderly people or people who have medical conditions um, that predispose them to, to a suppressed immune system. And so those mortality rates, people are getting freaked out by the fact that it's like 10 times as, as virulent as influenza. Well, actually, no. Uh, it's not. It's just that these cases in, in, for, in, for instance, your elderly care home are being publicized. Uh, um, and they also happen, the people, all the people who are on the cruise ships, right? Who goes on cruises? Old people go on cruises, right? So, the, of course, they're going to be more likely to become ill, seriously ill and die than other people. I think we're getting a call from the National Cruise Association <laughs> right now. We got Disney on the phone. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, and the thing about, I mean, 
cruises are they they are nice, but they are. I mean, I'm just going to say this, you know you're talking to a degree about a, a mobile petri dish, exactly. Because everybody, where's everybody go to eat? They go to the same place. It's a, it's and right. on top of that, for the most part, it's a smorgasbord all day long. And then you've got someone going from room to room to room cleaning your room. Yeah, but what's not, the, what's the thing they usually get? You hear about 400 people throwing up on a ship at time. Was it the Norwalk virus? Neuro, n- neurovirus. Yeah, it's another. Norovirus. It's a form of Norwalk. Yeah. Is a form of Norwalk. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that would be so much fun. Um, I mean, not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, especially for the people who have to clean up. Um, So rewind for a second, because I... I Back, I didn't. I didn't get my PhD in biology, but there was a period of time where I was fascinated by actually RNA viruses because mm-hmm. they're they're. It's actually a. It's not an organism, but it's it's it's. I mean, well, yeah. So you can't see him in the studio. He's he's like kind of <laughs> questioning my comment. But the way they work is fascinating. Don't I mean they go in and they re they take the other DNA right, they, and they rebuild it in they into commandeer theirs. your yes. DNA replication. Yeah. Um, Apparatus. So what they do is, as I said, um, there's a little bit of difference between different viruses, but mainly w- what they are is just a little a single strand of DNA that has, you know, six or eight genes on it that do different things. And some of those genes are involved in recognizing the membrane of your cells. And they they are like have a species specific knowledge of what how to connect onto the surface of your cells the membrane of your cells and then enter into your cell and then they go to the part of your cell that is reproducing well you know rna is is the the way that your cells work is is that the nucleus is like the control center and it sends out rna which is like messages saying make this make that and you have organelles within the cell that make stuff like energy or make uh, make hormones or whatever they and so they commandeer that apparatus that's usually making rna to, to, to run your system, to run your factory, right? And they say, aha, we're taking over. Instead of making stuff that's good for you, we're going to make ourselves. And so then they just, then, then you start, your machinery starts to turn out many, 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 many copies of the virus until eventually the, they explode the cell and that gets released out into your, into your circulatory system and infects more cells. Wait, wait, how did we get back onto politics? I thought we were... <laughs> no, hold on, hold everything. Let's take a break. <laughs> Let's get off the humans and get back to the canine. When we come back, we're going to talk more about uh, uh, viruses that deal with dogs and all that stuff. So uh, stick around. Thanks again, Peter, for being here. And we'll be back. Welcome back to Talking Dog. Uh, You're listening to KSVY. Uh, Sonoma, 91.3. I think that was a an RNA redoing the, the switchboard there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Moved the, I saw the dials moving. That's bacteria, not yeah. a virus. <laughs> it is bacteria. <laughs> um, well, we wanted to start talking more about the dog virus and, and how that affects our dogs. And we were looking around, like, the three top viruses or uh, top two or uh, maybe distemper, rabies, uh, and those kind of things. And we don't see rabies a whole lot here in the country. Uh, you know, we've really pretty much got it squashed out, but it's happening in other countries like Africa uh, more and more. Is that right, Peter? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, because because dog owners are required to vaccinate their, their, their dogs against rabies, and because the federal government spends a lot of money on the East Coast uh, where there's uh, endemic fox rabies and raccoon rabies, um, vaccinating uh, wild canids. So they vaccinate 
coyotes, foxes, skunks, anything out there. They they have a pretty extensive oral baiting program where they put baits out, and that then that that immunizes the the local coyotes and other canids. And um, <clears throat> as a consequence, it's not a big issue here. If you went back. Uh, on the east southeast like uh you know 150 years people would have been being bitten by rabid dogs and dying pretty regularly so if you were, were in, a, in a rural area you would have, you would have known somebody who died from rabies but because because the federal government spends so much money on uh, rabies control uh it's not a problem here it's a huge problem in developing countries particularly africa but also in southeast asia it's still it's still, it's still a problem and um and the while here it's wildlife that are going to infect domestic dogs, there it's the opposite. It's domestic dogs, which are, of which there are a lot out in the countryside, um, are the ones who are the reservoir for rabies. And they're going out, and when a dog gets rabid, it goes walkabout. Um, it, you know, you, you've seen the, probably the slathering, you know, foaming from the mouth and wild. But the other thing they do is that when they first become uh, – seriously infected, they go walk about and just start, they can walk 20 miles, 30 miles, and they'll show up, you know, 30 miles away somewhere else, and they will bite anything uh, um, that they run into. And it's, it's the rabies virus's way of reproducing itself. Hmm. It, it actually attacks the centers of their brain. So that's a neurological stage of it. Exactly. It, it's, it's, it's manipulating the dog into behaving in a way that maximizes its transmission. Wow. So instead of just staying locally, it, it, says, it, 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 it affects whatever part of the, 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 uh, the brain that creates the homing instinct in the dog, and it just obliterates it. And then that dog goes on, off and spreads the virus all over the place. And it's, consequently, it's extremely hard to control. Yeah. So is it... Uh, I don't know. Do we take it like the African? Uh, uh, what is a village? People are living in an African village, and then it's just running rampant, and then their dog gets infected, and it just takes off and it goes to another village, or is it? Just, it's just- right, right. It, 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 so it'll be in one village. And then, and then one of those dogs will get bitten by a dog from the next village, and then it'll start biting dogs and people in its own village, and then it'll go, before it gets really debilitated, before it is like really just crazy, it'll start to go walk about, and, and, and then it'll show up, you know, 20 miles down the road and start biting dogs there and getting in fights and then infecting those dogs, and then it just is, is constantly moving, uh, you know, like a long-distance hops. And the humans are getting bit, too? And the, human, the humans are getting bitten, and um, the other lives, the, the, the livestock of the, of the villagers are getting bitten, and wildlife is also getting bitten. And like it's the a, wild dog and... Like, exactly. So, so the, you know, for African wild canines, canids is the proper scientific right. term... Um, you know, rabies is one of the biggest conservation threats for the endangered species. There's the Ethiopian wolf. There's only a few hundred left. Uh, there used to be hundreds of thousands you know, of them even 30 years ago. And now, because of all those do- you know, domestic dogs out there, um, they've really, their populations have crashed. And, um, and they were almost wiped out about 10 years ago by rabies. Um, it's also a problem for African wild dogs. It's... A, 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 also, all carnivores, so also cats, big cats will get it, lions will get it, et cetera. So it's God, a, I hate to see a, a lion on yeah, babies whoa. coming towards you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, it's, so it's, a big, it's a big issue. And it's the same issue with, uh, with distemper, which is another thing that your dog is being vaccinated against. You know, once again, like 100 years ago, if you had dogs, the, 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 the odds, not even 100, 50 years ago, the odds that your dog would get distemper 
um, was pretty reasonable, you know, um, that, that or you'd know somebody who, who, who the, your dog got distemper. And since mass vaccinations, we forgot about all the stuff here. But um, mm-hmm. in places where they don't have max, mass vaccinations, it's a big problem. And the, and the wildlife species that, that is really affected by most by that is get this lions get canine distemper and die. And it's a big problem in, in like East Africa, Kenya, Tanzania, um, for lion populations there. How tragic. Yeah. One of the things that, uh, you know, everybody, everybody wants to have, well, there are a lot of people who want the wolf dog or the wolf as a pet. And one of the reasons why in California is you can't have these as dogs or pets is because wolves don't can't be vaccinated against rabies is that true is what's do you know anything about that Can you you're, just- you're treading on the on the edge of my um area of expertise here the problem is is that that you know some vaccines so, okay let me start something some viruses will infect anything and kill anything you put in, 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 in ebola into a uh, into a mammal uh, other than a bat and it's probably going to kill it right and likewise, you give any any of those animals an Ebola vaccine, it's probably going to be have some degree of protectiveness. Other viruses aren't like that. Other viruses are extremely species-specific, and they will only infect particular species, and they will only be virulent in particular species. And likewise, the vaccines will only work on a particular species and may even have negative effects on um, negative health right. effects on, on, on other species. So uh, with the Ethiopian wolf, do you see? Can you orally bait them? What I don't can't remember what they, you said. Th- uh, this is an interesting thing. So, so they actually did a um, uh, a darted vaccine. The reason they didn't wipe the whole population out was they were in this one area, and it was sort of looked like a like a dumbbell where there was two populations connected by a corridor. And they actually did a barrier vaccination where they they uh, vaccinate all the packs that were near the middle, and it prevented the spread into the other area. Interesting, and that yeah. was very successful. Um, they wanted to use oral vaccine, but uh, anti-vax sentiment isn't just in humans. There are people in the wildlife community who are convinced the vaccines are Satan's spawn and are going to kill everybody. And, and so they couldn't get the local wildlife authorities and the conservation groups to agree to doing oral vaccination, um, and, which is a shame because, uh, because that vaccine that they would have used is one that's been like literally hundreds of millions of doses have been distributed in the United States and in Europe and without a single human dying from it. Right. Right. So it's exceptionally safe. There's several of them. They're very safe and they haven't caused trouble. But because people are suspicious of, of vaccines, um, they wouldn't let them use that. And that's the same story that, that I've run into myself, in my own work. I, uh, I wanted to vaccinate gorillas against Ebola. And I had to fight, 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 fight for ten, literally ten years, trying to get them to let me do it um, in the wild, and and they wouldn't because vaccines are scary and Ebola is scary, and so you can't do that. Tragic. Yeah. I want to rewind um, back to your comment. This, I mean, all of this is fascinating, but you mentioned that the rabies has designed itself or evolved itself so that it part of its activation mechanism in its host, there's something in its code that knows to go in and infect the brain of the host to make it act differently. Right, so it has, like, 
effectively all viruses have what's called tropisms. They look for particular kinds of tissues, and there's a and they look for a genetic signature on the on the on the membrane, the cell surface. And they go looking for that, and they attach to that, and they find that, and that then allows them to, to invade the cell. And, the, and, and um, rabies virus has a tropism for neural tissue. Hmm. And so it hides in your neural system, and it goes in and can be in your spinal column or particularly your brain. And so, it's, so rabies has evolved through time. It, it was advantageous. You know, so, so some proto-rabies virus like happened to have – Killed some brain tissue in it, 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 that controlled the spatial cognition of, of the dog, you know, some time ago. That the part of this, the, the, the like the home range map of the dog, its tendency to, to like home to a particular place and destroyed that, you know, lat, infected those cells preferentially, killed a bunch of those cells, and then that function, that home range function was like, uh, was, you know, if not destroyed, sort of tamped down in that dog and then they went and wandered as a consequence of it wandering it infected a whole new population of dogs with that and that increased the 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 productivity the reproductive rate of the the virus and so then those viruses were the ones that survived better than the other ones that didn't go walk about right so there's a lot of rabies viruses that just died off and this is the most efficient one that stuck around given the dynamics of 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 where they're infecting animals the ones that are around are the ones that in the, in the past have been most effective. Yep. And and the like slathering at the mouth, walkabout strategy. And the same thing with the with the slathering at the mouth. I mean, the reason that they're foaming at the mouth is because they're expressing a lot of rabies virus in the, the saliva glands. So, so so that's what makes it even more dangerous. Exactly. That. That's why they bite. Yeah. It, it is that's they 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 they, they kill the part of the brain that. Uh, uh, does the home range behavior and they kill the part of the brain that inhibits aggression and so that then makes them prone to biting and they also have a tropism for salivary glands cells and so that they actually migrate the viral particles migrate to those cells and therefore when they bite you those the saliva is particularly full of virus so all of those adaptations have made rabies a, a force to be reckoned with. When I think of a slathering dog uh, with rabies, I always go back to Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah, yeah. When uh, Atticus comes out and takes care of that one dog yeah. that's coming towards him, and he's all you know, lath slathering and and very dangerous. Obviously, uh, I just I have a question about oral baiting in the wildlife. What do you use to bait them? What do you was it like a dead carcass or do you, you know, uh, no, uh, a so cookie or in they went through like for rabies vaccines they went through a, a, a number of different iterations of this and they tried like they used like chicken they would have a little sachet it's like you know when you go to mcdonald's uh, there's a little like a mustard or ketchup packet like that yep. except it's of a different material but that's the idea it's a little sack that cellulose something or other so that, that, that is able, exactly that keeps the the the, the um the vaccine viable that protects the vaccine and they put put that into something like they they found that chicken like chicken you know pieces work pretty well chicken nuggets well <laughs> no like chicken legs or chicken heads okay. or whatever they would shove it in that and then the animal would just sort of chomp on it and eat it but but more recently what they use now is they use a fish meal bait they have get fish meal grind up fish and then they put that sachet in it and they sort of press it and make a little biscuit out of it and then they fly over in planes and they have a machine that just like broadcast every every three seconds so the bait goes out the window and they sort of blanket areas where they have a lot of rabid raccoons or a lot of rabid coyotes or, or foxes and they that that's that's how they do it that's cool yeah i like that uh 
that's a different type of dog treat. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, so what about all your work with Ebola? Can dogs get Ebola and sure. transfer it? I mean, how dangerous is that in the population? Is that something that everybody has to worry about when you're in Africa? Touching it, a if you're just dog? walking around in Africa, you don't have to worry about it at all. I yeah. mean, it's, it's essentially the only thing you, the only thing I would tell you not to do is, um, uh, is don't go into any caves where there's bats. Right, um, and because the odds on the reservoir, the long-term host of Ebola viruses, like coronaviruses, is bats, and so don't go on a, a cave tour, and don't uh, touch any dead animals, and other, and don't if there's an active outbreak going on going on in a place, don't go there, and otherwise you're not going right. to have a problem. Right. All right. I think we're going to get a call from Mercer Caverns now. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you bring up bats. I mean, you know. Don't eat bat soup. I mean, that's what's going on in Hunan, right? Was that there's some there's these exotic animal markets where people are eating bats and other animals that aren't cooked. They're not all this, so it's a it's a freaky thing. Well, you touched on that during the break that the bat as a as a as a species um, somehow has evolved to be resilient. May, perhaps, I don't want to put words in your mouth, um, but uh, to certain viruses, but also very efficient at spreading all the viruses okay. they have. We're going to go from bats back to dogs here. We're going to take you back to dogs. Yeah, good. Okay. So so the story is is that all animals that live in very large populations and who, who reproduce very rapidly tend to be disease reservoirs. We're talking about bats, birds. That's where influenza flu comes from birds. Mice is hantavirus, uh, rodents are another big carrier of uh, viruses. And the reason is, it's pretty obvious, when, there's a, when you live in a cave with uh, half a million other bats, you're contacting lots of other hosts, and it's just like that dog going walkabout thing. It mixes the virus very rapidly with your population. Short-lived is also important because it means that if everybody's immunized, if 99% of the people are immu- uh, bats are immunized right now, Six months later, there's going to be a whole new crop of, of bats, and the population is going to increase by a bunch of animals that are now naive, have never seen the, 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 the virus before, and their immune systems are totally naive, and they, they have no protection. With us, once, you have, once you're exposed to measles, you're immune for life. You know, and the average life expectancy here is 75, 80 years, you're not going to get infected again. And, and so the trickle of new hosts is much more thing. That, that's what determines the the host and because bats are live you know reproduce so fast and ha- live in such large populations they're constantly exposed to to viruses and therefore they sort of evolved co-evolved with these viruses to sort of be immune to those viruses um, uh, because otherwise they would just be wiped out that's why here's the dog part that's why dog diseases have become such a problem rabies uh, distemper is that humans in traditional places societies like Africa or Asia or uh, Europe didn't used to live in such high population densities. There weren't so many people, right? right? And so if you did have a spillover event from a dog to a human or from one dog to, an, to from a wildlife, from a bats into a dog's, it just died out right there. There wasn't a village for 30 kilometers away. That dog would get rabid and it wouldn't bite anybody else, right? It's the same thing with Ebola. We did not have such large populations. There was no airplanes to take you someplace else. There was no airplane to fly you from Wuhan to Beijing to to San Diego, right? And because of that mixing of populations, the, the number of people and the the trans and, and the, the mobility of people, that's why we're now having this era of pandemics. It's only going to get worse. 
there's a great, uh, and I, I, we'll put it on our website, but there's a great uh, graph in Fortune Magazine this week uh, about, it's on the very back page, mm-hmm. and it's about exactly that. It's the, it, They're showing distance from for viral spread, not in the term, not not in the sense of miles, but in the term, in, in frequency, number of passengers going from point A to point B, and it's absolutely fascinating. San Francisco is as close to uh, Hudan as uh, Shanghai, right. Actually, or the next town over. Right. Interestingly enough, I would have thought San Francisco would have been closer. London was one of the highest, and Paris was another Paris. one. But that's being driven by economics. Right. Well, this is this is the, the interesting part about this is this is that if we go down to, to Silicon Valley and Google. And Facebook, this is this network theory kind of stuff you guys are talking about is exactly what they're making billions and billions of dollars out of right now. Is understanding how you know information influence travels. It it, it travels the same way as, as viruses travel, and they're following uh, air travel routes right now is is the big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at the the the, the transmission of, of this coronavirus, it's going to follow the same pattern as the transmission of, of like uh, fashions and styles and, and, and information about like popular culture and exactly those kinds of things. Yep. All right. Well, we got to take another break. Uh, just a quick one. And uh, you're listening to KSVY 91.3 Sonoma. And we'll be back in just a few minutes. And we're back. Can everybody hear me? Uh, I can. Oh, sorry. I can. I'm still. I'm dazed from this conversation today. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, just like my head is spinning from all this stuff. It's, I know. Uh, it's pretty. It's fascinating. It's frankly. heavy. It's fascinating. Um, but knowledge is power. For the last four years, Donald Trump has been railing about the deep state, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're about to find out why the deep state is necessary because the people who know about stopping coronavirus transmission are the are, are what he calls the deep state they're experts in the government and they have been systematically weeding out those people and firing them so the people in the national security agency that were tasked with this kind of pandemic response thing were all fired and that's why they don't know what they're doing so the next time somebody says deep state think about what happens in a wildfire or a viral a viral pandemic or uh, something like that and that's who the deep state is pandora uh pandemic response team you know that's the one i just keep going through my head is where is it it was taken out it was taken explicitly fired by trump yeah well i I mean since we're on this subject i you know we happen to live in an area where um some of the crews that went the first people in the united states that we as far as we know uh that that were here um came here from a cruise ship that was off the coast of Japan, I think. Yep. And they flew them back and, and, and with supposed isolation in, in a in Travis Air Force Base, I think Riverside. And I believe there was a stop in Seattle. I'm not certain of that one, so don't quote me on that. But, but the first uh, case that we had of, for the most part, the virus being in the wild was in Solano County, which is where the air base is. And lo and behold, it bubbles up. Right, you know, people are like, how did that happen? Well, it the the per, one of the people involved came out and said, you know, the people that showed up to take care of these these sick patients, they weren't protected, or they weren't protected to the degree they should have been. And you know, I get it. We we bring people back. We want to take care of them, but we need to make sure that that our protocols uh, are up to snuff. No, but you missed part of the story. Okay, the part of the story was this idea was proposed, 
And the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, the experts said, don't do this. This is a, Do not bring these people back the way you're going to do it. This is a bad idea. And they were overruled by a Trump political appointee who said, no, no, we're going to, they're American citizens. We're going to bring them back and we're going to go talk to them and stuff like that and not follow protocol. And that's why we have in Fairfield, it was, I think. Or it was Vallejo. Fairfield because yeah. Solano yeah. County. Yeah. It's in Solano County. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's how that got there is because they, they ignored the experts and went in and, and had contact with these people. And they flew back the infected people with the uninfected people in the same plane against the advice of the CDC. They said, don't do this. Anyway, sorry, uh, I'll shut up about that. No, no, I, 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 you're right. I, I didn't intentionally skip over that, but I remember there was a do we go, no go decision. Um, and, and the go decision brought people back here. And, and even once they got here, there was a, a disconnect and it's, it's out in the wild. So the bottom, let's, we'll rewind to where we were. <laughs> There's only so much we can control. The one thing we can control, you know, wash your hands. If you play with your dog, wash your hands. If you're outside, wash your hands, keep your hands away from your face. Uh, for the immediate uh, time period, um, wash doorknobs and handles in your house, maybe once a day. Um, you know, that's what you can control. Yeah. Be careful. Take care of personal responsibility about your, your health. Okay, well, one of the other aspects of, Peter, your work is the cognitive relationship and cognitive aspect of dog and dog behavior. That's right. Is that correct? Not dog behavior, just in general. Oh, okay. I mainly do with primates, but it's, uh, it requires to understand how humans fit into the, the general picture for mammals. You ba- and when we were preparing for the show, basically you said uh, our brains are, are the same, except we can understand language better. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing. Uh, pretty much, right, right. So, so um, there's a tendency to th- in American culture and English culture to view humans as being somehow unique and different than other animals. And essentially, for most of your function, most of your brain function, you're a almost identical. I mean, you're pretty similar. And the where the only place where humans really sort of stand, well, the, the place they stand on the most is sort of language skills. Um, For most of us. <laughs> <laughs> language skills and sort of abstract reasoning, humans are pretty good at. And there's some sort of bordering on qualitative differences between us and them. I mean, there's a couple genes involved in speech that other animals don't have and things like that. Most of the rest of the stuff is sort of quantitative. How much, how many nerve cells you're applying is is greater. You have you have a higher density, a higher number of uh, uh, of nerve cells in your brain than other animals do, but you do the same thing the other animal does, right? You just do it with with greater efficiency, uh, and in some cases they're doing stuff much better than you are. So dogs, for instance. It takes a lot of bandwidth to be to process the words I'm saying right now. It's really computationally intensive in your brain, and it, it just takes when you're like that's why when you're walking, when you when you try to when you try to say something complicated, you'll actually stop walking because your brain brain cannot handle walking and thinking about the complicated thing at the same time. Same thing with language. Your brain is so occupied by by talking, which is why they don't let you use a phone when you're driving. Right, it's so occupied right. by the thing that you, the rest of your brain are actually shut down 
they say, I can't process sensory information. I can't process what I'm seeing or what I'm smelling or what I'm tasting, other things. I am so focused on your words that I can't do anything else. What that means is, is that your dog is, because it's not processing the words so much, it's looking at your body posture. It's looking at your facial expression, the tone of your voice. It's smelling the hormones that you're secreting. It's, the dogs, you know, we're good at language. Dogs kick ass at smell. Right. Well, communication maybe on the whole non-verbal the, the macro uh, aspect of uh, right. communication. Well, this is something I talk about all the time in the presentations I give and the the training that I give people is calming signals, nonverbal communication, and calming signals. The signals we're sending to the dog, like we're holding our breath, we're holding tension in our body, mm-hmm. we're direct eye contact. Um, we're making direct line. We're walking directly straight towards a dog or something like that. These are all things that the dog, it's really subtle stuff, but the dogs are so highly attuned to their environment because they're not talking and they're, 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 they're keyed in on other uh, cues. And it's really fascinating. And mm-hmm. to, communicate, to, to uh, communicate naturally with dogs is exactly what we're talking about. And that's how you can have that better relationship with your dog is to learn how to communicate with them, mm-hmm. learn how to send those signals. It's like uh, a, a child that's uh, scared of dogs. Uh, and, uh, they, 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 a dog is approaching them, and what I tell them to do is look at the treetops. When you take that energy, instead of freezing up and looking at that dog and sending it signals that you're acting like prey, you take it and, you, and I tell them to look at the treetops. And it takes that energy away, and the dog notices that and behaves differently. Mm-hmm. It's really fascinating. The other thing that is is the the extent to which they're using olfa- olfactory information, smell, the, relative to us. We're relatively poor at olfaction. Um, they're incredibly good at olfaction. So they're not only uh, they're looking at your body posture and the tone of your voice, but they're also smelling you. And that you, when you're stressed out, you're releasing pheromones, you know, chemical signals that 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 tell the dog that you're stressed out. Well, that old adage, you know, they can smell fear. Smell fear, exactly, exactly, exactly. And 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 there are also a bunch of uh, like facial expressions, subconscious facial expressions, in addition to the, like just the rigid body posture and those kinds of things, and the tone of the voice, the higher you, ah, ah, I'm stressed, you know, uh, that the facial expressions that 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 are uh, suggestive of acute stress or even chronic stress. There's a condition called moon face in which you have when you have too much cortisol. Cortisol is a stress hormone and you have a long time. It actually affects the way you look. Hmm. And the dogs are, are cueing in on all those cues that because they don't do, they're not doing the verbal thing. Forget the verbal thing. They do a little ver- verbal. I mean, they, they're, they're smarter than some people think, but they're mainly looking, smelling, and hearing. So when you when you smile at a dog, are you you know are you sending the signal that you're baring your teeth and it's a different thing, or are they picking it up because you have soft eyes at the same time you're displaying teeth? Or I don't know, you know? about the teeth. I, I'm not so sure about the te- teeth. I think that I think that they're probably malleable and uh, enough that they are distinguishing between bearing te- yeah. uh, te- teeth by another dog and you're smiling. So what about, uh, go back to the primates for a second. Isn't that one of the signs is you don't show your teeth to a primate no, or a you, chimpanzee? Well, it is a threat. Like, so if you look at a baboon, if you go, go, to, go to a safari in Kenya, and there'll be, there'll be baboons all over the place. If you go to Amboseli or something like in Kenya, there'll be baboons. And if, they're, if, they, if they don't want you to, if, if they're angry, no, well, if they're irritated by you, 
they'll do a, like a graded series of threats. And first it'll be, uh, first, first it'll just stare at you. And then they'll like to they have uh, white eye eyelids and they'll do an eye flash at you. And then if you keep coming, then they'll, they might hit the ground like that. And then eventually what they're going to do, they're going to yawn at you and show their, their teeth. And if they do that, that's the time which you need to turn around and go back because they're going to, the next, the next thing in the series is bite you. <laughs> well, yeah, that brings another, uh, Come back to the dogs yawning in a dog. Yeah. It's a release of stress. Right. And uh, um, remember, dogs release tension through chewing. And uh, and it's just a sign that your dog is stressed when it starts yawning like that. Yeah. Um, what are some other things? Well, let's say you smell like fear. Do you whip out your uh, right guard and start spraying yourself? Or what, what do you do if you are scared and you start shedding these uh, hormones? Or uh, what... What do you think? How do you with a gorilla or with a dog? <laughs> with a dog. <laughs> well, I'm sure. I, you know what? I think we're going to have to have you back and talk about more about the primates because it just fascinates yeah. me. But with a dog, what what do you think? You know, what's well, a calming I, signal when you are afraid of dogs and you're shedding this stuff? If, if I I love dogs, so I'm not going to. I tend not to be afraid of the dogs. Going to be more afraid of me than I am of them most of the time. Um, I I just I just try to have a. I try to have a loose body posture. Yeah. I try to talk to them. I tell them they're my friend. Hi. And I, that and low I, tone of voice. Low, and- exactly. A calm, a calm, friendly tone of voice. And I, I, and, uh, and I also, like, I say hello. I talk to dogs. And they immediately know that I'm friendly. I mean, from a mile away. I don't right. have, you know, this is this is the, the 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 thing that sucks about being international, like you know, Indiana Jones wildlife guy, is that I I had a dog until I was six, and I haven't had a dog since because I've been traveling the whole time, and I want a dog. Yeah, well, <laughs> welcome to Sonoma. Welcome to Sonoma. Yeah, you're. Well, uh, it's you know, we've got a few more minutes here. Uh, so, is there a lot of primate uh, action here in uh, in Sonoma? None. Non-human primate action. I, I don't know the human primate action scene. Well, it's that, pretty pretty lively. Um, the uh, wine adds, uh, adds a whole other <laughs> aspect yeah. to the behavior of well, the actually, you Sonoman know, primate. Like, uh, primates, like apes in Africa, actually eat fermented fruit and get drunk. So, so that whole wine thing is going on there too. So, so that's not take... that's not uniquely human either. <laughs> so you've got a ton of uh, subjects to uh, observe when you're at the wine tasting room. You, you're just what you have take to worry notes. about though is the elephants. When the elephants get drunk, that's bad news. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what do the elephants do when they what? get drunk? Oh, they get they lose their inhibitions, just like humans. They act just like humans. They behave badly. And what do they eat to get? I mean, I get the fruit. The, fruit, the like fruit. fruit falls on the ground, and yeah. it's, it's it's like grapes. It ferments naturally, and they and they at particular times of year when there's a lot of food around, there's drunk elephants in the forest, and you got to be careful. I bet you don't <laughs> want to get smeared on the ground. Sounds like tusk. a Tuesday farmers market, right? <laughs> right. Another opportunity. Drunk for elephants in the forest. Right. Yeah. Uh, all right, Dave, you want to add anything? Uh, other, well, let's see. Next week, we're going to have, or the next episode that you hear, we're going to have our, our friends Mike and Brian here, and they're going to talk about uh, Doggy Day Camp. In the- yeah, they've got a premiere at a facility here in Sonoma called the Vintage Kennel Club. Uh, they do boarding for not only dogs, but I believe horses, uh, cats. Um, there's a couple other things. I, they do large animal boarding. So that's really kind of a neat, and I want to know more about that as well, about the dogs. I don't think you can board chickens there, uh, but I did do the uh, tour to coop a couple years ago, and they have one of the nicest chicken coops uh, around. Really? It's, yeah, it's just an amazing coop. coop. Um, 
Yeah, I don't have anything to plug in terms of events or uh, uh, presentations, but uh, I will be doing another series at the Vintage House soon. So uh, thanks for listening. We're uh, Talking Dog, and it's uh, KSVY Sonoma 91.3, and you can listen live online at ksvy.org. Have a great week. Dave, have a great week. Oh, my God, you scared the hell out of me. There we go. Peter, down. Get those dogs out of here. Okay, thank you, guys. Bye-bye.